I am Stacy Powells, and this is This Crazy Life. I'm Jason Brown, living this crazy life. You are totally living this crazy life. <laughs> um, we are so happy to be here, and we are going to discuss a topic today that isn't necessarily very happy. We no. are going to talk about grief. It affects all of us. It really does affect all of us. And um, we could be grieving for somebody who's not only passed away, but we can be grieving for somebody who is actually still alive, and that's even more intense sometimes. You were going to talk about C.S. Lewis. You had something you wanted to well, say then. The thing that I, I learned back in school reading C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book called Grief Observed, and it was really about his own life. And he was talking about grief from the perspective of it, as time goes on, it becomes easier to deal with. But no matter where you're at in life, you could be at Disneyland, you could be having the greatest time in the world, and out of nowhere, like a bomb drop on you, grief, it hits you again. Mm -hmm. And you're right back to that moment of that lost loved one. Mm -hmm. And I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. I've lost people in my life. And I remember that uh, it just, out of nowhere. Yeah. Your brain just yeah. click it, it, and it right back at the moment of losing your loved one. Yeah, it does. And we have a special guest today, Lena Lambert. Um, she has agreed to come in here and talk about her grief. She uh, recently lost the love of her life, Jimmy Lambert, who was a well-known musician here in town, very well-loved, not just here in town in Bishop, but also in the Eastern Sierra. And Lena, what bands did he play with? What was he? He was in several bands. He started with Flashback in the 70s in Mammoth, and they stayed together about 20 years. And... As an offshoot from Flashback, a two-man duo evolved um, Good Living, and it was Tom Galt and Jimmy who actually played um, a couple of popular songs that, that were used for commercials here. I like beer, if anybody remembers that. Yeah. And then most recently, he was with Sax Fifth Avenue, which was a saxophone-based rock yeah. and roll band. Didn't they do some stuff in the park? They did. Yeah. They did. They played every festival and stage that you can imagine, yeah. from Elantia to Lee Vining. They were famous in their own right in our little little area. The Owens Valley Boys. The Owens Valley Boys. So let's talk about how did you and Jimmy meet? We actually met on Match.com, Stacy. I what? Sweet. How come I didn't what? know that? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, we were both um, single and looking, and the computer matched us. It said, "Oh, you might like this person," and I waved on the computer thing, and uh, he waved or winked back, and it started from there. And when was that? It was in 2007. Wow. And we decided to to meet like we talked a little bit on the phone and and um i said well i'm working the jazz jubilee and he said i'm playing the jazz jubilee and i said well let and so i'll come find you and i'm thinking yeah right a musician's gonna come and find me right he did and he took me to um we met and it was instant connection i'll admit it and um he took me to to see his band and he said come and see my set like, okay and i walk in there and all the people in the in the room, we're like, oh, Lena, Lena, you know, good to see you. I haven't seen you in so long. And they're hugging me. And he goes, you know these people? I go, you know these people? He says, it's my band. <laughs> <laughs> and they were my friends. Wow. We had all this overlap that we didn't know. So they vouched for each of us. And, it took um, Mads.com to bring you together. I am not shocked. I'm yeah. shocked, I tell you. I didn't. I know a lot about you. I didn't even know that that was 
It was a Match.com thing. And uh, Jazz Jubilee, Flossie uh, and Ken. Yeah, Flossie and Ken. Oh, my gosh, Flossie and Ken. So you were together for how many years? I mean, I am before you got married. I mean, you, you guys were together a long time. 2007, and, yeah. and we got engaged in 2010, and we just stayed engaged. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we just, we played, he played a lot of events, and we thought, it's, we have a reception. It's going to be the same people that come. We kind of have a reception and a party every time we play an event. So we would sort of pretend this is our reception and just not tell anybody. Okay. So we had one after another, but we finally did get married in 2017. Yeah, you eloped. We did. I was going to turn 60, and I said, I don't want to be uh, engaged, uh, a fiancé, when I'm 60. I want to be Mrs. And he said, okay, let's go. And two weeks later, we went to Tahoe and just eloped and said, uh, this just happened. Yeah. Oh, that was so great. It was uh, three months before my 60th birthday. I was a little, a little twist, just a little, because you had kind of said to me, so you are a wedding officiant and would you? And I'm like, yeah. And then all of a sudden you, but I, I, look at, I understand. I understand. Regrets. I'll tell you. I forget. Regrets. There are regrets. And thank you for (laughs) forgiving me on that. But. There are some regrets. I, I think in grief, grief and regrets, uh, if you switch those letters around, there's a lot of the same letters in, in it. And in grief, there are a lot of regrets. And, and one thing, I underestimated the power of being married. Mm. I really enjoyed being Mrs. Lambert, and I don't know why we waited so long. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk about, you were married in 2017? Correct. 2017. And everything's going fine. I mean, I, I remember seeing you guys perform at Wonelli Deli. I mean, you always, sometimes, you even had the tambourine. You would go up there and do the tambourine with him, and you were his biggest, biggest, biggest fan. I mean, you were out there and telling everybody where to go. We were always getting text messages from you, sometimes at 3 in the morning. And um, then then the, you were thrown a curveball. Yeah. So And it's okay to cry, all right? I mean, grief is part of crying. So the tissues are right there. Just take a deep breath. So... We'll just go real quick. So what was the first, what caused you guys to go to the doctor? Jimmy had a cold and he thought it was a swollen lymph gland and overexerted himself at a New Year's Eve gig. So it was January of 2019. And he had a little swollen lymph node. And he went into the doctor and they didn't think anything of it, this or that. Took a while to do a test. Let's do a I don't know, CAT scan, MRI, I don't remember. There's been so much since then. Yeah. Anyways, they did a needle biopsy, and it came back that it was a, a little tumor, is all they called it, a, a tumor. And no reason to really be alarmed. These things are benign, kind of get in line to have a surgery. But we don't have anybody here, Owens Valley. Yeah. So you have to go either north or south. Where do you want to go? And... Jimmy's like, I don't want to go north, south, east, or west. I want to stay right here. But that wasn't a choice. So a lot of research. And we finally picked north and went to Reno, got in line. Surgery was scheduled in June. He had discovered it in January. And finally, um, through a non-urgency diagnosis, they scheduled it in June. And we had done a lot of research, pretty confident in the doctor. Yeah. And then we uh, pack a bag for two nights to go to Reno for an overnight for a really simple four-hour surgery. Complex, they said, but not unusual for a surgeon who does uh, hundreds of these a year. 
So um, that's how it started. Right. And so my understanding is they opened him up and they said, oops, this is more complex than it was. And through a whole bunch of circumstances, a lot of which I think were divine intervention, um, you were able to get into Stanford. I mean, that was not the plan for a two-night overnight. No, I had two nights worth of clothes, three cats at home, Mm. uh, a lot of plants in the garden because it was June, and here we are in Reno being told he's going to be air-ambulanced somewhere. We have to find a doctor that can do this. I'll back up a second. When when the surgeon went in for the routine surgery and opened him up, he didn't like what he saw. He actually said it was aggressive and angry, which I thought, how does a tumor have feelings and become angry? But that was how it was described. And the surgeon, in his wisdom, divine guidance by the angels, knew enough that it was too complex for him. And he sewed him up and said, we need to go to part two of a surgery somewhere else with someone who knows more about this. It was wrapped around his facial nerve and into the vocal cords, which for a singer in a rock and roll band is not a good diagnosis. Right. 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 So the the urgency was to make sure we could salvage the facial nerve. And so he called, um, his, his receptionist called everywhere, and I complained. I can't go to San Francisco. I can't do this. We can't go there. We live in a small area. I had every objection there was, which I didn't realize at the time I was already in anticipatory grief. Yeah. I was grieving what I was anticipating. Which you didn't know. Yeah. 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 So, um, stroke of luck, fate, the angels, he called and said, I have a colleague I called and, um, I was brainstorming what can we do with him? And the colleague said, you know, I have a cancellation next week. I'll get your guy in. And that's how we ended up at Stanford. Okay. And then that whole thing happened, and that was June 2019? June 2019. Okay. Yeah. And then just briefly, what happened after that? I mean, I I remember you had a whole string of girlfriends. We were on your late night calls at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, This is what's happening. This is what's happening. And um, we just couldn't believe. I mean, we could not believe what you two were dealing with. And so just take us through that really, really quick. We we got to Stanford, and um, I was surprised that it, it, we were at such a big center. And through all the dozens of tests, they determined they could take him in. And um, it ended up being a 13-hour surgery. If you can imagine being under anesthesia for 13 hours. Can you imagine? I mean, no. married. <clears throat> I'm married. Waiting and the Wait, worry. Yeah. Yeah. And unexpected. Totally unexpected. Yeah. And like I said, the, handled that. Oh, the, the girlfriend posse, I had a um, the a friend come and sit with me the entire 13 hours. Yeah. And um, when the doctor came out, he I had tried to hug him when we first met him. And he's like, I'm not a hugger. And he came out and he actually hugged me. And he said, I am not a hugger, but I'm hugging you after the 13 hours and they said it was successful and they had clear margins and it was going to be a long haul and and it was it was a long recovery um six days in the hospital and then we came home and had to travel back and forth to stanford which is 20 hours round trip yeah wow okay for follow-ups and then they recommended radiation so we had to go set up 
an apartment in Stanford for in Palo Alto for six weeks while he did radiation. And that's when uh, the 3 a.m. text messages were coming to my right. friends, which I uh, wanted to tell you, I actually found some. Why don't you read one? From up. This is um, from you. Please let us know what's up. Tell Jim we are rooting for him, praying for him, telling his angels to surround him with love and light. Tell him Dan and his spoons are awaiting his return. That was from you. After a 3 a.m. text, that was your yeah. reply in the morning. Yeah. By the way, Dan, my, I call him Spooner Dan. He plays spoons and oh, yeah. sun bands, yeah. Condo spoons. He's yeah. a spooner. He's a spooner yeah. guy. So um, I wrote back, I'm ready for some spooning. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so now we are, let's say the radiation is over. Where are we time-wise? Oh, radiation was over. We got to come back home to the Eastern Sierra. It was September. It was just glorious. It was three months. I describe it now as living in, on a hammock on an island. It's like it was done. It was over. It was seemed successful. We and then what? Recovery. December, we go back for another scan. Um, and they actually said, this is the text that I wrote to everybody December 10th. Hooray, results of the MRI show it's clear and cancer-free. That's actually what they said. Yippee, it's been a crazy day of appointments, but all the medical teams say we are looking good. Whew, praise be to God. Okay. And you wrote back, we are so relieved, as a lot of other people did. So that was December. They actually... December 2019. December 2019. Okay, so... Who's the words cancer-free? Yeah. All right, so we've only got about 11 minutes here. So let's go to when the bomb was dropped. This episode of This Crazy Life is sponsored by Stacy Does Weddings. Creating a fun and legal wedding ceremonies is a specialty for wedding officiant Stacy Powell's Leister. Her motto is any kind of wedding, any time of the day or night. Stacy will make sure that the culmination of all the wedding planning, the ceremony itself, will be a moment of grace and love, honoring the fact that the two people found each other in this crazy world we live in, falling deeply and madly in love. The easiest saying, I do. Stacy will perform any ceremony, non-denominational, religious, non-secular, themed weddings, interfaith, hand fasting, and same sex. Stacy also specializes in last minute weddings. Call 661-433-9800 or visit her on the web at stacydoesweddings.com. Three months later, go back for another routine scan. For some reason, they want to look at the lungs. This is on the neck where they want to look at the lungs. They look at the lungs. They come in the entourage of penguins, I called them, in their little outfits, do, 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 following the main doctor who yeah. looked like death warmed over. I'm like, uh-oh. And she started crying because she had gotten to know us really well. And she said, "It's it, we have spots on the lungs. It's metastasized. Somehow the little boogers sneak through the radiation. Now it's in his lungs. It's inoperable. The worst news you could imagine. Yeah. Like, talk about a bomb drop. And this is like in spring 2020? March. March 2020. March 2020. Okay. Yeah. And so, oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything shut down. So, okay. So everything shuts down. And then I, I believe the two of you somehow found a way to get into Lancaster. City of Hope. City of Hope in Lancaster. And they did whatever they could do. And, um, City of Hope was very hopeful, yeah. a little more hopeful than, than Stanford had been with the prognosis. They've dealt with this before. 
Yeah. Uh, took a lot of insurance hoops to transfer. Um, we didn't have to travel 20 hours. They allowed Zoom meetings because of the pandemic at that time. And um, so more radiation, chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, good news, bad news, good news, bad news. It was a roller coaster. Yeah. And then in December of 2020, 2020 it just... Went like wildfire is just the best way I can describe it. Yeah. It was like wildfire. It just, nothing worked anymore. It just didn't matter what you threw at it. Things started growing and um, he started feeling worse and worse and he died in March. March of 2021. Okay. Yeah. Went fast. A year from the long diagnosis. Yeah. All right. So your grief through the whole process, do you, is it safe to say that you're grieving yet you're trying to be strong? You're trying to just be strong for Jimmy. You're just holding it together as much as possible because you're dealing with all the nurses and the insurance and making sure he gets where he's getting and he's not able to work anymore and you're not able to work very much anymore. And then he passes away and now what? You were there. You remember all that very, very well. Yeah, I do. Exactly what it was i started referring to it and writing it down in in my journals as as caregiving and i wrote all the the word out in capital letters except for the eyes the eyes i made them little because you you i become so little in caregiving right and you just get lost in it and right that my my life was about saving jimmy that was what i thought i could do and when it didn't work that was part of the grief that was part of the anticipatory grief is I somehow felt like I failed. You're helpless. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've had medical stuff. You know, you've had medical stuff. I've had medical stuff. And our partners, you know, there isn't there isn't a lot that they can do. It's just to be there for us, bring us soup, take us to the appointments. But now who is caregiving you now, Lena? That's what I want. I mean, who is who is there for you during this grief? I have... Somehow really latched into Zoom meetings and groups and people and organizations. And even with pandemic being over, thank goodness that we discovered Zoom. And yeah. and that's where my support is. And a lot of friends that I still text <laughs> at all hours and, and get replies. For me, that was a really big tool is to write out my thoughts on the text or a group email and then kind of hold my breath and wait for the replies. Like the replies were really important to me to get that feedback coming back. Right. And when I've been in the position the other way, Sometimes I don't reply back right away. I'm like, wow, that's really intense. I got to think about that. And it made me realize that if somebody reaches out to you in despair, send them something back. Acknowledge it right away. Maybe like, think about this or just something. Well, no. So if you're if you're grieving and you're right. texting a friend, I mean, the friend should understand that, hey, maybe I should just say, hey, thinking about you, you know, just I will get back to you more detail. Right, because it's hard to know what to say to somebody who's lost the love of their life. Well, yeah, and and I understand what you're saying because you're you're feeling left unopened. Yeah, yeah, and vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, and you want a light connection. This, yeah, exactly. You just want someone to acknowledge you, and maybe somebody's got the time to talk a little bit more. Maybe somebody doesn't. You send out, you know, well, like me, fifty messages. You're going to get a few back, thank goodness. But I found on the other end, 
for me to be more responsive to other people. That was one of the lessons that, that I think I learned in this is that it's a two-way street. Right. When someone reaches out to me, reach out back. Right. Because, you know, like in mental health and some of the stuff we've talked about um, that, that you went through is you don't always say exactly what you need. Right. I kind of got to read between the lines and give back to the person that's reaching out. This episode of This Crazy Life is also sponsored by Jaspin IT Consultants. Jaspin is trusted by financial firms, hospitals, and small businesses with over 30 years of experience, specializing in computer repair for PC and Mac, managed IT solutions, managed antivirus, servers, virtualization, networking, surveillance solutions, VoIP phone service, and digital signage. We are building a reputation for creating a positive return on investments for our clients. If you are serious about your business success, our team of professionals can get you there. Strategic thinking, personal attention, competitive prices, real-world results. Discover the Jaspin difference. Located at 249 North Main Street in Bishop, California, 760-872-2797, or on the web at www.jaspin.com. Yeah, right. if you don't get that response, your mind starts to spin. What's going on? What's happening? You know. Yeah, it is because um, in a grief, there is a there is a mental health aspect to to being to being right in the grief, and you're in the second year, and the second year is often the more difficult because the first year is kind of shock and taking care of the business part of somebody dying, and the second year it's like okay. The process. The process. Yeah, it's the processing year. They say the second year, um, your expectation things will suddenly get better one day are not true. There is no linear recovery timeline or stages that you should have worked through by now. Grief is an up and down, messy roller coaster of emotions. And the second year is there's just no end point. You don't know when it's gonna when it's gonna end. That that is exactly it. Yeah. And I know sometimes with you, I mean, I'll say, hey, you know. Leave your cats at home for a night. You just come up and hang out with us for the night. We have a couple of extra bedrooms. Come sit by, you know, and we'll watch a movie. And, you know, and, and you say no a lot. <laughs> and I understand that. You know, it's just also important for the friends to realize um, that that the door is going to be opened. Don't stop asking the person who's grieving yeah. to come out to dinner, to go and do this. Um, I know it's been hard for you to go to events with a lot of people, especially when there's a band and you know the guys in the band. You know, that's been, I think you walked out on triggers. So, yeah, triggers. Because you don't exactly. know what your triggers are going to be. One thing that, that I have found is I know more of what I can't do than what I can do. Mm -hmm. So I, I started going with that. I can't do that. So what can I find to replace it so I'm not isolating? I can't do big events. But I can do a one-on-one, -on -one, like an all-girl band. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'll do that. And and find a replacement instead of trying to duplicate what you used to be able to do that is just impossible now. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And your kids have been a big support, too. Thank goodness. Yeah. You know, I know they come up and down and they and they stay with you, you know, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah I was fortunate. My son was able to stay with me for seven months after Jimmy died. So I, wow, I was really fortunate where I have extra sympathy for people that, don't have that. That is sort of a luxury that yeah. I was very fortunate to have. Well, a lot of people go back to their lives, and the person who's left grieving is trying to get on with his or her life. And often they don't know how to do that. And often um, they think they're a burden when they keep reaching out to their friends and family members. And I'm here to say, if you're grieving, man, re continue to reach out. And if you know somebody who's grieving, 
please just say hi, send them a letter, you know, FaceTime, Zoom, whatever it is. How there's so many ways to contact yeah, people. Don't yeah, don't isolate and don't isolate them from your life. A lot of people don't know what to say to somebody who's lost, somebody really close. And so they pull back because they don't know what to say. And it's just so it's just important to be there. Yeah, I was gonna say sometimes you just sit. Yeah. You don't have to say anything. Yeah. I can't be there with that person. Yeah. I wish I could sit in Lena's house, but I am so allergic to cats and she's got a few. <laughs> So I went there a few months ago, and I brought you some Robertos, and we sat outside. Sat outside, <laughs> and, it, and it was it yeah. was lovely. Yeah, yeah, she does. Lena's an amazing writer, so um, she's writing a book about her life with Jimmy, and um, we asked her to bring something to read. It's a memoir um, on the two years of the medical journey and the roller coaster, and a little bit of what, what I shared today, and then has a lot of backstory on how we met and why it was. As amazing as he was, I, I call it my Jimmyisms, um, and I'm just trying to put my thoughts down. And Stacy said, "Go ahead and bring something that might be fun to read and give you a little idea of kind of who Jimmy was and his sense of humor." This uh, is throwing us at at Stanford when we first got there. The first thing that caught my attention was the wall of business cards to the right of the receptionist. I had never seen this many medical providers so prominently displayed. Row after row, the stark white cards with the maroon Stanford logo announced dozens of head and neck specialists. Flabbergasted at the variety of choices and elaborate designations, I just stared. Reconstructive, oncological, department chair, director this, head honcho that. Much to my surprise, I noticed that one thing all these business cards had in common the obscenely obvious had not occurred to me. We were at a cancer institute. What? What are we doing at a cancer institute? I was truly mystified, apparently in the deepest throes of unrecognizable first stages of denial. Jimmy doesn't belong here. Surely this is a mistake. Reno should have taken us somewhere else, right? But all of a sudden, I flashed on all the directional signs we'd already passed by, scattered throughout the facility. They all said cancer center, with arrows pointing to radiology and infusion centers. Panic and fear shot upward, and I felt uneasiness creep in, and I whispered, I have to sit down. I stumbled to the closest chair and collapsed into the hard plastic, and within seconds, Jim was at my side with a box of tissues and a bottle of water. What is up with you, he asked, unaware of my sudden realization of our reality. I gulped, not sure what to tell him. Had he come to the same conclusion? Hey, baby doll, I am all checked in, he said, and you missed it. They asked me what I was here for. And what'd you say, I said, tilting my head and meeting his eyes. He grinned mischievously. There's a rumor of a tumor, and I've lost my sense of humor. <laughs> thank you so much, Lena, for sharing that. Um, thank you so much for being a guest on This Crazy Life, because you have had a crazy, crazy journey. We so appreciate you being here very much. Yeah, thank you. Lena. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This Crazy Life with Stacey Powell's and Jason Brown and our guest Lena.